Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Dr. Benjamin Williams. Good morning. Many thanks to actually Mark for dragging the pulpit over here for me. (laughs) To Kim and the, the praise band leading worship, what a blessing. Nancy and the choir and the orchestra and all their gifts. And, and uh, I appreciate Steve's appeal for, for deacons. Yes, we need more deacons. By the way, in case you didn't know, deacon means a, a servant. It's the... It's the it's the maitre d', it's the guy with the, the towel over his arm. Now, I mean, if it would help get more deacons, we can provide towels to put over your arm. I did want to just sort of tweak one thing he said, though, which he was talking about getting everything ready so the pastor and the staff can, can lead worship. I'd rather say, so that the members can lead worship. You tolerate me, but it's you who lead worship. You who make worship happen. How many of the people up here were volunteers and members? That's the praise that pleases God. As we get ready to come to the word, let's have a word of prayer. God of scripture, now reveal the meaning of the words we read and transform our faith into understanding and our understanding into deed in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife, one day, came home from work in a bad mood. Guys, you know what that's like, right? She came home from work in a bad mood, and I don't remember what set it off. It was probably some dirty dishes I left in the sink, something like that. But... She snapped at me. And what did I do? Well, you know, I snapped back. And she stormed out. After a few minutes, you know, I took a breath. I settled down. I went upstairs and apologized. And after a little while, she came down and and she apologized to me. And the thing is, it turned out, I assumed she was probably mad about something at work. I mean, she has a very demanding job. It's a very stressful job. It's a very frustrating job. And I just figured it was something at work. And it turned out, no, it wasn't something at work. She had come in irritable. And she had snapped at me because of something she had been listening to on the way home on the radio. Cece discovered that when she listened to talk radio... I'll take that to be an amen already. I haven't even made my point, and I'm hearing amens here. When she listened to talk radio, it made her so irritated that she'd be in a foul mood for hours. And it didn't matter which side she was listening to. They'd get her so wound up, she lost her inner peace. And the Lord began convicting her. 
and she had to stop listening to those programs for her own peace of mind. Today, she listens mostly to Christian music, uh, to programs on the radio, and to CDs. Things that, that, ex that highlight the lordship of Jesus and his worship. That's on her drive to and from work and as she's having to drive around at work. She's a lot more contented and relaxed no matter how hard the day has been. Are we surprised? Mm -mm. You know, there was a time when reporting, when news reporting tried to be objective. You know, reporters kept their own opinions, their own ideology out of the picture. Now, all right, okay. I'm talking about a narrow period of time between the Cretaceous Age and the Jurassic Age. <laughs> you know, 50 years ago. Today, the kid gloves have come off, and news reporting commentary is blatantly taking sides. And it doesn't matter if they're right on the right or the left. They've all become what I call peddlers of outrage. You know what I'm saying? Peddlers of outrage. They look for things that elicit outrage, and then they report it with indignation and in brief sound bites that are intentionally provocative. Why? Because they have discovered if they can make you upset, and it doesn't matter if you're upset with them or upset at them, if they can make you upset, you know what happens? You keep turning in, tuning in. You may even hate what they're saying, but you're going to go there to hear, what, hear it again. Because you see... The more you're outraged, the more you listen. And the more you listen, the bigger their audience. And the bigger their audience, the larger their market share. And the bigger their market share, what does that mean? More money, more dollars. In the final analysis, you see, the news isn't about truth these days. It's about money. Because what media specialists have discovered is the outrage sparks outrage. That anger is contagious. Anxiety is even more contagious than mumps and measles. We shouldn't be surprised, though. It says the same thing right there in our Bibles. Let me read you a few verses. You'll know them. This one, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's from Proverbs 15. And then, in turn... An angry man stirs up dissension, and a hot-tempered one commits many sins. Wow. That's in Proverbs 29. And therefore, Proverbs warns us, it says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Don't associate with someone who's easily angered or else you'll learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Or another translation says, you will be consumed. Proverbs 22. You see, angry people make people angry. Until like ripples on a quiet pond, everybody's in turmoil. And God says... Don't go there. Just don't go there. Remember the advice of James, the brother of the Lord. In his epistle, chapter 1, he says, 
The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I may add, it never can. If anyone had good reason to be both anxious and angry, it was the Apostle Paul. There, as he wrote to the believers in Philippi, he, he was in a Roman prison. We're not quite sure for, for sure where, that is, which time he was imprisoned this time, you know. He kind of lose track. He probably lost track after a while, you know. Oh, yeah, Philippi, yeah, Philippi, I was in prison there. Yeah, Ephesus, I remember that prison. That one actually had stone floors. That was nice. You know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that one, that, I, I remember that, that one over there, that one had, they actually put hay down, so it was a little bit soft. You had something to sleep on. Now, he, he knew prisons, and this time he was in a Roman prison, unfairly, unjustly, he was in chains now under the oversight of the Praetorian Guard, which was, they were diplomatic bodyguards, kind of like our Secret Service. And the Praetorian Guards were not nice people. He still hoped for a good outcome, but he knew that his fate was uncertain. Acquittal or execution it could really go either way. He had legitimate grounds to be anxious and indignant over this outrage. But no. No. He wouldn't go there. We've been looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians for the past few weeks. Today we arrive at chapter 4. You know, we've seen that in Philippians, Paul wanted to express his appreciation of and his affection for his friends there in Philippi, in the church there. He wanted to reassure them as he was, he was they were being persecuted just as he was. He wanted to strengthen them and encourage them. And he wanted to thank them for the financial support that they had sent, which he knew they could ill afford, but he was very grateful for it. And then as the third chapter begins, he trumpets, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord! Yeah, you heard me right. I didn't say chapter 4, I said chapter 3. There in chapter 3, he says, Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And then he mentions to, to write the same things to you. It's not troublesome to me. It, for you, it's a safeguard. He's starting to wrap up his little personal letter. And he wants to get to rejoice. And you can just know, remember, he wants to get to rejoice in the Lord. So he starts out rejoicing in the Lord. And then he says, oh, wait a minute. Look out for the dogs. Those evildoers, those flesh manglers. Mm. He remembers one main reason he had been writing them in the first place. You know, those Judaizers that were coming in and trying to make all of you Gentile believers have to be strict Jews as well. And he interrupts his own train of thought. Oh, oh, well, wait a minute, guys. I just about forgot. And this time, Paul, he does get angry. He gets a little bit crude. It doesn't sound that way in most translations. We, we scholars like to clean that up a little bit. In Greek, he's crude because it's important and because these preachers are distorting the good news of Jesus in the worst way. You see, Paul may not care, care what happens to him, but he cares deeply about the gospel of Jesus. 
That's through chapter 3. And then there's, there's a, a couple more little incidental notes. And finally, Paul returns to his train of thought in chapter 4, verse 4. You, I'm sure you probably all know this more or less by heart. Would you even say it with me? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You see, he has to back up and say, oh yeah, now let's see where I want. Oh yeah, now that I've got that out of the way, now I can go back. And the, he was wanting to talk about rejoicing the Lord. So he goes back, picks up his train of thought again. Rejoice in the Lord. But if you look, there's a difference in the two passages between the beginning of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. Now he adds, always, always. Not just when things are going well. Not just when, when you're feel, feeling happy or, or thankful. When you're feeling upbeat and everything's good. No, always. Especially when you do not feel particularly blessed. That is, when... when uh, the act of stepping out and rejoicing is simply an act of blind faith. And that's the praise that God cherishes the most. When you rejoice in the Lord, when you don't even feel like rejoicing, that is precious to the Father. And in case you didn't get the memo, Paul says it a third time and hammers it in. Again, I'll tell you, rejoice. Rejoice. They're suffering. He's suffering. And what is he saying? Three times, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Rejoice. You've heard this already. Philippians, you'll know this part by heart. How many times Paul refers to joy or rejoicing in these four short chapters? 14 times. 14 times in four chapters. Now, I want you to notice what's obvious. But Paul does not say, have joy always. He does not say feel joyful always, right? He says rejoice. It's a verb. It's not a matter of feeling joyful. It's not something that you passively receive. Oh Lord, Give me joy. I'm waiting. As I wait before you, impatiently, give me joy. No. You can try it. You'll stand there till your arms get tired. God's not just going to let joy just fall on you. Joy works differently than that because it's a verb. Do it. You rejoice. You step out and do it. You choose to rejoice as an act of faith no matter the circumstances or how you may feel. I will assure you sooner or later the feelings will fall into line but they don't start with feelings. I'll talk about that more in some weeks to come. But Paul, he knows what he's talking about. You remember what happened to him in Philippi the first time? Acts chapter 16. Those who can't think of it right off, it's Acts 16. And 
he and Silas, Paul and Silas, are beaten up. They're beaten bloody. They're jailed on trumped-up charges. They're even put in the stocks. And do you know what they did there? They sang. They sang. And by the way, it was not, you know, rousing choruses of hundred bottles of beer on the wall, hundred bottles of beer. You know, like like a lot of you know guys on camping trips when we were trying to kill time, we'd sit sit around and sing songs like that just to, you know. They didn't do that. They sang, but it, think about it, it's outrageous. The suffering, the indignities, they're being subjected to and they are singing. And what are they singing? <coughs> they're singing songs about Jesus. And they're praising the Lord. They got no reason to do it and they're rejoicing in the Lord right there in that cold, moldy, rat-infested cell. And as they trust the Lord in song. What happens? Jesus opens the doors, releases their chains. But they're so lost in the wonder of the Lord, they're not running outside now. They're all sitting there. Even the other prisoners who are sitting around, it says the other prisoners were listening to them. And when the doors open up, they don't leave either. They want to hear more. And the jailer comes in and he comes to faith. What must I do to be saved? He begs to know. Well, how did he know he needed to be saved? They hadn't preached to him. How did he know he needed to be saved. And how did he know that these men knew the way for him to be saved? Because of the songs that they had been singing. Because of their rejoicing. You see, their joy that came through the faith step of rejoicing, their joy preached the gospel for them. Now, a heart of rejoicing can only be built upon an unshakable inner peace. Do I hear an amen on that? You can say amens. I won't fall over. I know I'm a Presbyterian minister. I will not fall over. I promise if, if you do say amen or respond, that's all right. And so... That's what Paul turns to next in the verses 5 through 9. And let's look at that. Let your gentleness, I'm going to come back to that word. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He goes on, finally, he said finally before, and that didn't mean anything. By the way, preachers are bad about saying finally, and then they go on to another two or three other points. So, But we're just following Paul's great example here. <laughs> Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. And what? The God of peace will be with you. Okay. Rejoice in the Lord. And then he goes on, let everyone know your... What is it they're supposed to know? 
What are they supposed to know? Well, this is translated here, gentleness. In others, it might be translated forbearance. In a way, it does, neither one of those makes a whole lot of sense in the immediate context. So what does gentleness have to do with rejoicing and peace? Now, the word that Paul uses here in Greek is epiikes. Epiikes. Sounds kind of like a cowboy yodel. You know, E-B-I-I-O, epiikes. Epiikes, it's a, it's a compound word. It comes from iko, which means to yield. And epi, the prefix epi, that means up. It's up-yielding. Let everyone know you're up-yielding. What is it? Yield it up. Yield it up. Let everyone see how you yield it up to the Lord. You yield up your problems, yield up your circumstances, you yield up your suffering, your injustices and indignities you've had to suffer. You yield up your very life and death. You yield it up. Whatever holds you, whatever presses upon you, whatever threatens you, whatever frightens you, whatever angers you, yield it up to God in the name of Jesus Christ. And then you step out in faith and rejoice in the Lord. And he underlines this again, just in case his readers didn't quite get what Epi case was about. Bless you, thank you. Says, yield it up and then pray about everything. Pray about it. Whatever, whatever. Pray about everything. Now, did he say pray about the big things? It seems to me everything is a little bit broader than that. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think everything is pretty broad because everything belongs to God. And the last time I checked, Jesus is Lord of everything, every situation. The big ones, the little ones, the personal ones, the church ones, the community ones, the world ones, the universe ones. Now, by the way, if... You know, knowing how, how upset people get about what happens in this little, on this little planet, I am so glad we have no idea what's happening on the other side of the solar system or in the universe. <laughs> Can you imagine how wound up we would be if we knew what was really going on in the constellation of Orion? Thank God we only see what we see here. We don't very, do very well on managing, managing this one al either already. Yield it up. Pray about everything. Bring it to the Savior. And he says, bring your thanksgiving too. Pray as if he's already heard it. And he's already answering your, your prayers and your deepest need. Why? Because he is. He's already there ahead of you, around the corner, waiting to meet you as you, as you brown the corner to see what provision he's already made for you. And the Lord will plant within you, he says, his deep inner peace. It's a peace, you know, in King James, it's called the peace that passeth understanding. We always love that one because it's a tongue twister when you sing it, the peace that passeth understanding. 
The problem is we didn't understand it. That's what Paul's saying. You don't understand it. It passes understanding. If you want to translate, best way to translate it is a peace that doesn't make sense. A peace that doesn't make any sense. It's outrageous. Paul's singing in jail. That's ridiculous. Calmly facing possible death in prison. It makes no sense. You should be a nervous wreck. You should be an emotional shambles, but instead you're relaxing and resting and singing and rejoicing in the Lord. How? Why? It makes no sense. Now, I'm not saying that that's easy because like the joy, God's peace is not a gift. It's not a gift. It's a fruit. And any of you who tend any gardening know fruit don't just happen. It takes a long time to bring forth fruit. It's got to grow and mature. And it takes a, a lot of watering and care and, and pruning and a fair amount of manure. <laughs> That's all right. I, I, I produce lots of that in my life. As I face challenges and trials, my joy can grow, my peace can grow. I'll get to that at another time. But Paul's saying, yield it up. Yield it up. Pray about it and give thanks for God's steadfast love and for his sure compassion. And then, as a step of faith, rejoice. In the meantime... Paul also, he goes on and, and adds to this. By the way, in the meantime, watch what you're feeding your mind. Watch what you feed your mind. If you feed your mind worthless trash, trash is all your life is going to produce. Okay? If you feed your mind with fear, Fear is all your life is going to produce. If you feed your mind with anxiety, anxiety is all your life is going to produce. If you feed your mind with outrage, outrage is all you're going to know. The prophets warned that there is no peace for the wicked. And I'll tell you now, if you dwell, spend all your time dwelling upon the wickedness of others or the wicked things others do, I promise you, you're not going to have any peace either. And don't be surprised at it. Don't be surprised. Feed your mind with the things that build up your faith. You surrender to Christ. You, you think about your hope for the future that he's planned for you, for this church, for this community. Feed your mind with your confidence in the God who raises the very dead and watch your attitude change. It'll change. My wife, Cece, found the impact was striking and immediate. She'd been feeding her mind on the dire warnings and the outrage of others and had only anxiety and anger inside. But when she yielded up her outrage and the outrage of others as a sacrifice of praise to God, she had her peace back. Like that. And now, now she is careful to guard her peace because her peace will guard her heart and mind, as Paul says. The peace of God will guard her heart and mind. Follow the peace. When you sense the peace of God in it, that's God's there. If you're losing your peace, you better look around and see where the peace went because that's where you need to be. Let the peace guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
at the last, when they told me I was preaching on Philippians 4, I took that literally. <laughs> and then they told me later, oh, by the way, the others have just done a little, a few verses of their chapter here, a few verses there, and I'm thinking, oh, it's too late. I've already written on, I've already prepared my sermon on the whole chapter 4. I might be a little literalist, so just, just be forewarned. At last, Paul gets around to his note of thanks for the financial support from the Philippians. That's probably what he started out wanting to write about. Now, let's look at verses 10 through 13. Paul says, I rejoice. Okay, he's rejoicing now. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Now, not that I'm referring to being in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. After telling them again and again, rejoice, 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 Paul rejoices. And he rejoices. He has a reason to. He names what, what he's going to specifically rejoice about. He's rejoicing over them, their kind generosity. Now, he doesn't want to think, however, that his gratitude is only you know, there because he was desperate for help. You know, it's easy to, it seems to be easy to be grateful to someone if you were really desperate. But that he doesn't want them to get in that misunderstanding because he has learned over his lifetime, over his mission, no matter his circumstances, God is going to take care of him. God is going to take care of him. This is one of my principles, and I'll come back to it. You'll hear this other sermons, I'm sure, that the important thing is simply knowing what it is God wants you to do. You listen to what God wants you to do, and you do that. And everything else is his problem. If you need resources to do what God wants you to do, it's God's problem to get you the resources. If you need helpers for the way, it's God's problem to get those helpers to you. Everything else is God's problem. You just be where God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do. It's real simple. You do what you need to do. God has, runs the expense account. Paul doesn't get desperate. He may not roll in material prosperity, but he's going to have what he needs when he needs it for the sake of the work of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. So he's learned the secret of being content. The, the word out our case that he uses there means sufficient in yourself, meaning you're not dependent upon outer circumstances around you. You're satisfied, you're content, at peace, regardless of what you do or don't have, regardless on what's going on. The Greeks and the philosophers, this is a philosophical word, and like all worldly people, they would have supposed that that means your sufficiency really is in yourself, in your own strength, your own skill, your own wisdom, or whatever. Paul makes it clear that uh, we'd be lost. We would be lost. Our sufficiency is in Christ. That is the all-powerful and all-wise God, the very God incarnate in human form, dead and resurrected to eternal glory is our all-sufficiency. Yeah. 
Who can stand in our way? Who can stand against us? No hunger, no thirst, no persecutions or suffering, no nations or ideologies or no angels or demonic powers of hell itself. Not life, death can stand between us and the will and the might and the glory of Almighty God. If you want peace, I'll tell you, there's real peace. There is real peace. It doesn't make sense. It's utterly outrageous. But it is. That is true and noble and right and pure. Friends, feed your mind on that. See what happens. As we launch into a time of transition here at the church. Many of you are anxious. Many of you are tense. I understand it. And you may be anxious. It might not even come out like anxiety. It might feel like anger about being some, angry about this or angry about that or restless about this. You might be jumpy or edgy about something or everything. But let me reassure you, first of all, the sky is not going to fall. This church is not going to implode. You are not going to be lost forever. No matter what you might fear or what someone might tell you. Because Jesus has this church firmly in hand. And he's not going to let you go. He's not going to let you go. He is working out a wonderful plan. One day you're going to look back and you're going to wonder at the unexpected wisdom of God. Wow, he was doing something and we couldn't even see it. We didn't know it. And it's even cooler than I thought. It might be. Now, it may not feel good right now, but I want to remind you, you will never see, you will never ever see the Red Sea split unless you are stuck between the Egyptians and the water. Miracles will not happen unless you desperately need one. It's just not fun getting to that spot. So let's listen to Paul. Rejoice! Oh, I didn't feel like rejoicing. The preacher went over. He preached too long this time. I know, it tells me how far over I've gone. Can we use a smaller clock in the future? <laughs> Regardless how you feel, Paul says, do it. It's a step of faith. You do it. You rejoice in the Lord. You yield up the situation and however you might feel about it. You yield up everything that troubles or that frightens you because in the light of Christ, it doesn't really matter. Focus your thinking on the good things of God, his truth, his goodness, his all-sufficiency. And then let his deep supporting peace carry you along. He's offering you a calm contentment and that comes through trusting Jesus. Only through trusting Jesus. As you let go and float in the peace of God. I don't know how many of you like to swim. But you know if you get into the water and thrash around, what's going to happen? 
you're going to sink. What, what's the solution? Stop thrashing. You, you take that anxiety you have, you just say, okay, calm guys, down, down, down boy, down, down. And you just relax and you spread out those hands. I love that. Take a deep breath and you know what happens. You just bob to the surface and float. That's what the peace of God works like. So if you're facing turmoil or anxiety or anger in your life, doesn't even have to be about this church. It might be something going on in your life. I want to invite you to come forward during our closing song and prayer time and yield it up to the Lord as a sacrifice of praise. Turn off that talk radio in your head. Listen instead to the gentle whispers of the Spirit. Amen. That's... I want to invite you to rise, and we're going to sing an old, I hate to say that because I remember this as a child, and that says something about me when I say it's an old favorite. God is so good.
the time. God is so need to leave, for those who need to leave, go with the blessing of God. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God, our Father, and of His Son, Jesus Christ. And the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with you now and go with you through the week to come. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.